Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look at the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. This is 1 Samuel 1, 8 through 11 and picking up in 19. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came in their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice in his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him, only when the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to a house of the Lord of Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli and said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. Here we have one of the first cases of understanding that we as parents, when we ask God for the gift of children, which is what we all do at the beginning, they are truly a gift from God. They're not ours, they're his. We're simply just caretakers for his beautiful gift that he bestows upon us. That a woman who knelt before the Lord in great anguish asked for a child, received that child, and brought him back to God. And that's what we have here today. We have a family who has been asking for a child and praying diligently and fasting for a child. And the Lord has delivered an MJ. It is a beautiful thing to see a family stand. <laughs> yes, this is all about you right now, man. <laughs> And so we have a beautiful child who's being dedicated to the Lord today with a family who will raise her up in the way of the Lord to show her the way. That is our calling as parents. And I ask at this time, do you accept that calling to raise her up in the name of the Lord, to show her the path? You do. And as siblings, you promise not to pick on her too much and point her in the wrong directions too often and all those other things that... Yeah, and all the other things that we do as families and siblings, but to love her and care for her, to be there when she has difficult times and to point her to the Lord. 
Church, I will ask you to stand at this time. As a church, we are called together in unity in Christ to be the body of Christ. Therefore, each and every one of us here today has a, a solemn oath to take that we also are part of this body, that we are also part of this family, and that we are also part of who will be there for MJ as she goes through life. Do you solemnly swear that you will be there as she goes through this life, that you will walk beside her during her difficult times, that you will point her to God, that you will teach her of God, and that you will teach her what it means to love God completely, fully, with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? If you do, say, I do. I do. At this time, let's place a blessing. If there's anyone else that would like to join this family up here, please come forward. Mercy, joy, Selbach, we dedicate you to the Lord, for he is your true Father. And while we know that he has placed you in a loving, caring home with a mother and father here of flesh that will be there for you, that they will stand beside you, that they will never abandon you, they will never leave you, that they will love you, even during the worst of times. And during the best of times, they will experience the joy that you bring. For you are a gift of God and we swear upon that we as a church will be by you also, that you will never stand alone and that you will never find yourself weak outside of the Lord. At this time, we dedicate you to the Lord fully and completely, not for our will but for his will, not for our glory but for his glory, that you may be a true child of God, that you may come to know Jesus, accept him with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul, and be found to be a true child of God rejoicing in the salvation and joy that comes with that title. Lord, we pray this in your holy name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> For those of you who are DC comic book fans, you'll probably like this intro. In the movie, The Dark Knight Rises, uh, from 2013, we have Batman who's been on leave for like eight years, and the city's kind of been calm, but there's a new evil that comes into town, and so he comes out of retirement, per se, to kind of become the hero again of the story. But halfway through the story, he's captured by the enemy. I mean, he's taken prisoner by the evil that's taken over Gotham at the time, and he finds himself in the bottom of the pit, the whole, a place of despair and darkness, of doubt and of brokenness. And he watches a man try to exit out because it's an open ceiling. If you can climb the pit, you can get out and you can set yourself free. And all of them are tying a rope to themselves and they're going and they're climbing up and they have to make this long jump from one little stone here over to another stone over here and it's a long jump. And that's why they wear the rope because it jumps so far that most of them wouldn't make it. And as they're jumping, they're missing. And he makes his climb finally. He gets up there and he's got his rope tied to him. And he goes and he jumps. 
only to miss the mark and fall back into the pit, breaking himself even more than he was already broken. But a little while later, as he is healed up and as he gains his courage again, not to be broken down or not to be full of doubt, he climbs again, but this time without a rope. And as he gets there, and he gets that final stone, he makes the leap and he makes it with no rope. And everybody's amazed and he climbs his way up out of the pit, out of brokenness, and goes on to free the city of Gotham from the, from the evil that is out there. See, inside this story, the rope symbolizes doubt that each and every one of us carries with us. And it is that doubt that actually hampers us because with that rope tied to him, he weighed more. It's a long rope. It stretches from the top of the pit all the way down. It's a big, thick rope. It must have weighed hundreds of pounds as he walked. Could you imagine trying to jump with extras, extra hundred pounds or more on you? See, but that rope symbolizing doubt is what actually hindered them from making their jump, from completing what their goal was, from being saved from the pit. Today, in Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 9, we're going to read of the doubt after Jesus' death and after his resurrection. We're going to read just how dangerous doubt can be that even when Jesus was standing before the disciples, he still had to address their doubt. And then we're going to grow in our heart what it means to defeat doubt through Jesus Christ. So please stand with me as we read. Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. And after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven, and as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Please be seated. Our prayer today is a prayer of the removal of doubt from our heart. Doubt is a powerful tool. In fact, it's the most powerful tool that Satan has in his toolbox against us because no matter what he can do against us, unless we have doubt of who God is, the strength of God and the creation of God, the beauty that God is, if we have any doubt in that, then all of what God has done is doubted away in our hearts. And we become broken and we fall away. Give me a second get my notes organized here. Sometimes I get ahead of myself and I don't want to get out of line. 
In James chapter 1, 6 through 8, we read, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let, no, or for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Here, James is writing of the effects of doubt and how doubt really affects us inside. It changes who we are because if we have doubt of who God is, then we no longer have a steadfast rock to stand upon. We find ourselves being tossed left and right by whatever the whim of the day is or whatever the world teaches us or whatever we may be feeling that day. See, when we allow doubt to creep into our lives, we become double-minded because it's no longer about God. It's about God and whatever else we feel we doubt him in. If we don't give ourselves completely to God, we don't release ourselves completely to God, we carry that doubt in our heart and we're broken for it. We have tied the rope around our waist. No matter how many times we try that jump, we will never make it because we'll have doubt holding us back. In Titus 1, 15 through 16, we have another example of doubt's strength. To the pure, all things are pure, Paul writes, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Here Paul's warning that if we aren't pure in God, if we haven't purified our hearts, if we haven't stood before the Lord and surrendered that doubt onto him to accept him for who he is and who he's shown himself to be in Scripture, there is no way that we can truly be pure of anything. Instead, we become defiled and unbelieving and nothing is pure to us. Why? Because doubt corrupts everything. When Bruce Wayne makes his way up the pit with the rope on, he wants to make the jump. He wants to be successful. He wants to be free of the pit and the dismay that's down there. He wants to go on to be what he's being called to be. But because of the doubt, he's not free spirit. He can't make the leap. He can't pursue what his want is outside of what's already holding him back. And because of that, because of the fact that he stands there with the rope tied around him, tied to the pit, because of doubt of his ability to make it, he finds himself worse off at the bottom of the pit again. And all too often, that's how we are as Christians. We say we believe in God, we say that we know who he is, but yet we hold doubt in our hearts. We hold off a little bit and say, well, you know, maybe he's just not like that. Or maybe he's just not that strong, or maybe he's just not listening. And we hold ourselves back instead of letting our hearts be drawn by the pure Lord who calls us forward to complete whatever he's put in our paths. So how do we know that Satan uses this tool? If we turn to Genesis 3, 1 through 5, it'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you today. It reads, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, i.e. the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. 
Then the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, many of us look at that as being tempted, but what truly lies underneath that is it creates doubt in the woman's mind of who God is. Until this point, she believed that God had her best interests in mind, that he had created this perfect garden for them, which had ample food, ample space, ample protection, and even being found in the presence of God as he'd come walk through the garden occasionally. It was perfection for humanity. But Satan comes along, and in his temptation, he lays doubt in her mind and in her heart. He says, well, surely God's lying to you. He just knows that you'll be better off. You'll be more like him. Because he doesn't have your best interest out for you. Because you'll know good and evil. You'll be more like God. That creates doubt because who she believed God was in her eyes was no longer who she saw him as. This is how doubt breaks in. This is how doubt becomes this dynamic, smashing event in our lives as we go through. becomes the propulsion system or the drive system or the engine to moving us further and further away from God. Because as we doubt deeper and deeper in our heart and our mind, as we allow those things to push us and pull us from our understanding of who God is in Scripture and who He's showing Himself to be, as we start doubting that more and more, we start moving further and further away from Him. We stop seeing Him for who He is. Instead, we start seeing Him for who we want Him to be or what other people are telling us He is. So doubt's effects are threefold, or we see them in these three ways. The first is a question we hear all the time, is God really who he says he is? In fact, many of us sitting here today have probably asked that question or are asking that question right now. Is he truly who he is? Has he shown himself to be truthful in what he's done? Has he made himself to be who he is and says he is? When we start asking those questions instead of trusting what he has told us, when we remove Scripture from our lives and we stop reading and studying about who God is, we, stop forget, or we start forgetting who He is and those doubts start creeping in our minds. Suddenly, He's not a God who He's declared Himself to be. He's a God of who we're questioning Him to be too. The second way that we hear it all the time is, the God I understand would never be like that. How many of us have heard that in our lives? Well, my God would never be like that. My God would never judge people. My God would never set rules like that. My God just loves everybody as they are. But if we stop for a moment, if we look at what Scripture says, if we return to what Scripture tells us, we see that God is judgmental. That he calls us to love him, but at the same time, if we walk in sin and brokenness and walk outside of his ways, we may not share in his love. We see a God who is who he is through Scripture. And sometimes we don't like it because it scares us. Because it shows us our inadequacies. It shows us just how broken we are, how far down we are from being the righteous being that Jesus is. But the beauty of it is, is in understanding and having the hope of God being God and letting him be God as he has shown himself. We can be removed from the brokenness 
because we can cast away the rope, the sin that holds us back in the pit, and we can make the jump and be free of the pit, of the brokenness, of the dismay that's around us. When we stop trying to make God who we want him to be and we start understanding he is who he is, whether we believe in it or not, he is who he is, whether science tells us he exists or not, God is who God is. Jesus is who Jesus is, whether we believe it or not. It doesn't change the fact. It'd be no different than if I walked up to one of you and said, you know what, I don't believe you are who you are, so therefore you can't be who you are. I'm just going to go about my life and therefore you no longer exist in that way. How, how silly does that sound? But we do it to God all the time. We sit there and say, well, God, you're not that way, honest. All those books of judgment and, the, and you know, tearing up cities and burning them down to the ground and wiping out entire populations of people, man, that's, that can't be the God we know. However, it is the God we know. Why? Because he is a righteous God. He is a God who sees sin and brings his wrath upon it. But as we found out last week on the cross, as we celebrated Jesus this is resurrection. We also understood that he died because of God's wrath being placed upon him for all of sin. So God hasn't changed. It's just we are no longer held to God's wrath because of the freedom we receive in salvation from Jesus Christ and his faithfulness, his obedience to the cross. So we need to make sure that doubt's effects don't let it creep into us, that we stop seeing God for who he is and we start seeing him for who we want him to be. About a month and a half ago, we talked about putting God in the box. Well, we need to make sure we let the box open so that he can be who he is and let him define his box and not us define his box. The third way that doubt affects us on a real basis is, and probably the most dangerous one that I hear and experience and, and work people through is, I can never be good enough for God because. Many of you sitting here today have asked those questions. Many of you have struggled and suffered under that question. God can't ever love me. I'm too much of a sinner. I'm too broken. He can never forgive me for what I've done. But the cross proves that he does. The cross proves that he is a God who is willing to come as Jesus Christ to walk this earth and walk amongst us so that he could be tempted, that he could have doubt instilled in his heart, yet he overcomes it. He never binds the rope around his waist of sin. He never allows it to hamper him or keep him from moving towards God and what God is obediently calling him to do. Instead, he overcomes it on the cross. He finishes that mission that God has given him. And because of that, we no longer have to wonder whether or not we are good enough because God's already proven that we are because he sealed it with his blood and his broken body as it laid on the cross. He's proven that his love for us is greater than anything else in this world and that we are indeed good enough and we no longer need to doubt whether we are or are not. We simply need to fall on our knees before him and ask him to come into our lives. In 1 John 5, 10 through 13, John writes, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in him. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not delivered or believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. 
He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Here, John is reminding the reader of the letter that if you have Jesus Christ in your life, if you allow Jesus to be who he is, not who you want him to be, but who he is, you will have eternal life. If you accept him for who he is, if you remove the doubt that he can't be what you see him in Scripture to be, but instead let that be what fuels you, grows you, drives you forward, you'll have eternal life. But if you allow doubt to creep in and you don't believe that Jesus is fully divine and fully flesh, having come, walked a life, and gone to the cross, if you don't believe that he was resurrected, if you have any doubts about any of those things, then you're making God a liar. You're turning your heart from the one who brought you salvation because you don't believe you have doubt in your heart. This is a dangerous, dangerous situation that we find ourselves in. Continues on. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. See, John understood that belief was a continual thing. It was something that we had to refresh every day of our lives. Why? Because doubt was there. Even after people who the disciples would have trusted, Mary Magdalene, who they had walked with, she had followed Christ for a very long time and been amongst the disciples many times. Even as the two who were walking down the road to Amasis encountered Christ and came into the presence, even as they witnessed and told them what they had seen and who they had come upon, they still did not believe. We need to make sure that we don't fall into that category. That we believe in Jesus Christ as he is described in Scripture. See, the strength of doubt is the fact that we carry it every day and it goes every place with us. It's something that we have to learn to untie and toss aside and make that leap in faith. To release ourselves from the brokenness of the pit, we need to have faith that God will be there to get us to the next point. We need to make sure that the rope of sin, that brokenness and that doubt that walks along with us is cast off so that we're not weighted down by the extra weight that comes with it. Now Jesus gives us a hint in the Great Commission where he tells us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. He goes on to mention many signs, which are all miraculous signs. What he's trying to get a point across is that you will do miraculous things. There will be amazing things that you will do as you go out without doubt of who I am and in my name. What he's telling us in that moment is that if you go out and you live a life that you're called to live, going out and teaching the gospel, raising up disciples, baptizing those people who come into belief, you will not be able to doubt because you will see the power and the strength of Jesus Christ in everyday lives. You will not be able to tie that rope of doubt around you and Satan will no longer have his greatest tool against you because you will see the power that God has each and every day because you'll be walking that walk and you'll be living that life. So many of us sit in our complacency. I know Jesus Christ, it's great. I'm saved. 
but we allow doubt to come into our lives because we don't see his power every day and we wonder if he's really relevant to our lives day in and day out. But the person who gets up and serves God is constantly out on mission, is taking the truth that they know of Scripture and the heart that they have that Christ has given them through the Holy Spirit and displaying it and using it every day of their lives, going to places, whether it's in your own backyard or to the other ends of the world, will never have doubt of how great God is and how powerful he is. And how much he loves us. Why? Because they see it every day as they encounter it, as they share that love with people, as they meet and greet people who become believers and become disciples and dedicate their lives to Christ as they had. See, Jesus is giving us the formula that if we don't want to have doubt in our lives, then we simply just need to follow and serve. Because when we see that, we will know there's no doubt of who Jesus is. Why? Because we'll see these miraculous things in our lives. Now, well, we may not see, you know, people picking up snakes and being bit by them and not dying and things of that nature. We will see the love of God in each and every one of their hearts. We will see miraculous things. Have you ever wondered why the churches in Africa, the churches in Korea and China that are being oppressed under death are growing at astonishing amounts. Why? Because the people are serving their Lord. They have no doubt in it and they're willing to die for the message that's coming. They're willing to put their lives at stake. I was just talking to a pastor down in Madison a couple weeks ago about how there are entire groups of pastors, hundreds and hundreds of pastors in Liberia that literally are preaching off of a small little pamphlet that has like three verses in it because that's the only scripture they've ever been exposed to. But they believe that three verses so intently that they've become pastors at peril's end. And that's what they preach from. Can you imagine being in a church where the same three verses were used every Sunday? Because they've never seen the Bible. They've never been taught what it means to understand Scripture. They've never walked through the Old Testament or the New Testament. They've never even been walked through the entire book of Mark or Matthew or any of them. They simply have a small, but their love is so great. The message is so powerful and they have no doubt in their heart that they are out every day serving it. And their churches are growing like there's no tomorrow. People are becoming believers each and every day. I asked them, I said, what would it be like if we showed up to teach them? If we brought Bibles and and we're willing to dedicate a week? He said, well, I'd send a runner out the day you showed up. The next day there'd be 150 to 200 pastors waiting to be taught. He says, gathering people isn't hard because they all have a passion for God. They all want to know who God is. They all want to know the truth of who he is. They don't doubt his existence because they see it each and every day of their lives. That isn't the issue they have. Their issue that they have is they just don't have the full truth before them. Could you imagine today that if I put out a sign on the front door, I sent a few of you out to, the, you know, to Portage and Partyville and you know, a couple other cities around, do you think we'd have 200 pastors sitting here waiting to be taught? You think if we said, hey, there's open Bible studies this week, we'd have 300 people sitting there to learn the Word of God? You wonder why America has become one of the largest mission fields in the the world right now. And we receive missionaries from all over the place, including China, Korea, and Africa, who come here to preach the Word to our communities. It's because we've allowed doubt to creep into our lives. We've allowed doubt to hold up deep inside of ourselves. 
and we've stopped giving God the credit that he is due and we've stopped assigning him what he has told us to assign him and we've started saying, well, God couldn't be like that or I'm not good enough for God, so why should I even try? Because when we sat in the bottom of the pit, we tied the rope because we didn't want to die when we fell back into the pit. We were so scared of where we might end up again and worse that we were afraid to try to go to someplace better. We were so willing to just tie ourselves back with doubt and sin, the heavy burden that we can carry each and every day, that we literally made it impossible for us to make the leap. But Jesus Christ has taken all the weight off of our backs. We just simply have to have faith in who he is. We have to stop doubting that he is who he is and instead live our lives every day as he has asked us because he is exactly who he says he is. He is our Lord and our Savior. And he has asked us to happily and joyfully go out and share that with the world. To stand up and be bold in our teachings of the Scripture and not hold back what Scripture says about God, but instead teach who God is so that others may understand Him fully and completely, that they can take doubt and push it out of their lives, that they may no longer be tied to the bottom of the pit. Instead, being able to jump free of it and move to the salvation and freedom that comes outside of it. The effects of doubt turn us away from God and who He is. But only when we can push doubt from our hearts and our minds will we be able to begin to understand His greatness and blessings upon His creation. As long as we fall prey to doubt, we will never understand God to His fullness because we'll always question Him. We'll always push back and sit there and say, well, you really can't be that way. That can't be the way that that was meant to be said. There are entire groups of Christians who have said the Old Testament isn't even worth studying anymore because it shows a God who's judgmental and can be angry when we're bad. But the truth is, is if we don't understand the Old Testament, we don't understand Jesus Christ. We can't remove the doubt of who Christ is because we won't see all the prophecies being met in Jesus Christ's life. If we don't study who God was in the beginning, we won't understand what the importance of the cross is and the release from God's wrath that Jesus brings for us. Instead, we sit there in our doubtful selves, struck down by God's wrath. We find ourselves under the weight of it completely and fully. Why? Because we doubt in God and who he is. And instead of freeing ourselves and allowing ourselves to make that leap of faith, we hold ourselves back and fall deeper and deeper into the pit, making ourselves harder and harder to get out of it because we break ourselves each and every time we fall down a little bit more. Why? Because when we doubt ourselves whether we're good enough or whether God truly is, every time we fall, every time we come out of that and we end up just a little bit lower than we were before, we just prove to ourselves that our doubt was right. But instead, the next time you go to overcome something or the next time you step out, remove the doubt from your heart and say, I'm stepping out in Jesus Christ. I am stepping out to boldly go. I am stepping out to proclaim the gospel. And when I do so, I am doing so with faith that God will get us to where it is. And yes, it may be difficult. And yes, it may not always go the way I want it to go. But at the end of it, I will not do so with doubt, but I will do, with it, do it with assurance that God is who God is and that Jesus is who Jesus is and that he is at work in this. 
And the beauty about that is even if we do fail, and we find ourselves a little bit lower, we're not at the bottom of the pit anymore. We're just hitting a little bit lower than where we started that journey. We learn to grow stronger. We learn to get better. And we learn to move forward in Jesus Christ. Why? Not by our deeds or by our will or by our glorification, but for his, by his will, in the name of Jesus Christ. See, doubt creeps in because we know who we are and we know that we'll fail occasionally. But in Jesus Christ, there is no failure. There is only the kingdom coming. He has made this promise. He has shown himself worthy of that promise by after the cross being resurrected and returning to the heavens. We have no reason to doubt There's no amount of information that can turn us away. There's no amount of science that can prove he exists or doesn't exist. But each and every one of you has a heart that knows he is there. Yearns for him, longs for him, wants to be found in his presence. Each and every one of us sits here with doubt in our heart today. I ask that you hold that doubt up today in prayer and ask Christ to crush it, to remove it from you, that you may move freely in this world no longer restrained by the rope of sin and doubt. Instead, to be free to move up, to pull yourself out of the pit of whatever you're going through, to become that which Christ is calling and making you. My prayer for you today is that doubt will no longer hold power over you, that you will trust in God and you will seek him for who he is and how he's shown himself, that doubt may no longer sit within your life. For when you can do that, when you can remove doubt from your life, you can go out and you can preach the gospel. You can preach it to every creature. If you're afraid to start with a person, start with your dog. Talk to a tree. Your neighbors might think you're a little bit nuts, but they probably do anyway since we're Christians. He says to every creature, because the whole creation needs to be saved from the sin that our doubt brought into this world. And so step out. Do it to the dog. Do it to the tree. And move yourself up that you no longer doubt that you have the ability to do so and do it to a person next door, down the street, or the ends of the world. Because when you go out and you serve Jesus Christ, when you go out and you preach and you teach, you will know the greatness of God and you will no longer doubt that he is who he says he is. Instead, you will know for assurance from the proof that he he has in those moments that he is a great God, a glorious God, and a God of love. Don't let doubt win the day. Beat it out by having faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.